So, uh, as I said, we have, um, we're very pleased to have Mark Chase speaking to us. Now, Mark uh, actually goes by the name Chase, uh, so he's now going to be called Chase. Uh, but he has a couple of young kids, and um, through sort of an abundance of caution, uh, decided that it, it would probably be better not to be in, here in person, uh, what with Omicron and things like that. So, um, sadly, he's not here with us today, but he is virtually on a screen. Uh, due to the wonders of technology. Uh, and then what we're going to do after we've listened to his talk um, in a minute or two is we'll have a little Q&A uh, with him on Zoom, uh, which almost certainly will work, won't it? Uh, there's no doubt that it will work. So we'll do that in a minute. Um, but uh, otherwise, it's kind of over to him. Good morning, Bread Church. My name's Chase, and I'm a local pastor here in the Los Angeles area, and it is my honor to share with y'all this morning virtually via video due to the unforeseen circumstances surrounding the Omicron variant. Y'all, we are two years into a raging pandemic. Let's just take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Right now, where we find ourselves in this pandemic, there simply aren't any good decisions left. There are simply a series of hard and difficult decisions. Maybe you're a parent trying to figure out how to parent in the midst of this pandemic. That's where we find ourselves. We pulled our oldest son out of daycare, and that doesn't feel like a good decision. He's flipping off of the refrigerator, off of the couch, running circles around us inside the house in the backyard and then next week we're probably going to send him back to daycare and that also doesn't feel like a good decision there aren't any good decisions left just a series of hard decisions that have their own setbacks and challenges that come with them maybe you're a student trying to figure out how to have a social life and also keep yourself safe from this virus and keep yourself from passing on this virus wherever you find yourself please know that you are human and that god's grace is sufficient for us as we do the best that we can as we get vaccinated as we social distance as we try to participate in the healing of the world and the loving and the restoration of the world please know that god's grace can meet us in this in-between space but y'all there aren't any good decisions left. So this was a hard decision for us as a family to decide for me to show up virtually via video, but I'm grateful for the technology and for the fact that we still have this opportunity to be together in this way. And we'll also have some question and answer time uh, coming up a little bit later, but just be encouraged. Uh, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Amen. That ain't even the sermon. That ain't even the message. But I felt compelled to share that with you from my heart before we get started in our passage of scripture this morning. Uh, but speaking of passages of scripture, where you'll find me this morning is John chapter seven, uh, starting in verse number twenty five. John chapter seven, verse number twenty five. And the context of this scripture is Jesus is doing what Jesus was known to do very well, and that is participate in a party. As a matter of fact, I've never checked this, but it sounds very solid. One preacher once said, if you really look at all of the gospels, Jesus is either at a party, coming from a party, or on his way to a party. 
Hey, I've never really meticulously checked it, but it sounds really, really true. Here in our scripture, Jesus, we find him at a party, at the festival of booths. And Jesus is participating in this festival and his reputation has preceded him. And then there's an argument about whether or not he is actually the promised Messiah that the nation of Israel has been waiting for. So that's where we find ourselves. John chapter seven, verse 25. Hear these words of scripture. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. And when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Translation, Bread Church, they think Jesus is a little too ordinary to be doing all of these extraordinary things that they find him doing. As a matter of fact, they say, you know, we, we know the street Jesus grew up on. As a matter of fact, Jimmy, did you used to work with Jesus at Chipotle? Wasn't he the same Jesus that would never give you quite enough guacamole even when you asked for extra? They think that Jesus is too ordinary to be this extraordinary. And so they're arguing about him. And in the midst of that, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, still teaching in the temple courts. Yes, you know me and you know where I'm from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. And you do not know him, but I know him because I am from him. And he sent me. Oh, I love it, y'all. Jesus is getting a little spicy. I would love to see in our current context what kind of Twitter account or Instagram account Jesus would have because I just know Jesus would be down for all the smoke. He'd be down to be checking people in the comment section. I know a lot of times, and as a pastor, I say it too. Hey, just, 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 you know, just let it be. Just let it go. I don't think Jesus would let it be. I don't know if Jesus would let it go. Jesus sounds like the type of person who will be down for all the action in the comment section. But anyway, anyway, it's getting a little spicy. And this is how you know it's getting spicy. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. And they said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Now, I want us to put this in context. They sent temple guards to arrest him. So in their context, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, called their version of the police on Jesus. Can y'all imagine that? Like they called their version of the police. They called on physical sanctioned force to go arrest Jesus. Imagine calling the cops on God, calling the cops on divinity, calling the cops on love and truth and grace and mercy in action. Oh, so many times when we pull the lever on privilege and power, oh, oh to clear a path for ourselves. Oh, so often when we pull on that leverage of power and privilege, we end up finding ourselves on the other side of God. Oh, but that's Okay, th that ain't even this sermon, but they call the police on Jesus, okay? Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time. Then I'm going to go to the one who sent me. 
You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? They were so certain that they could find Jesus. Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, yeah, yeah, surely this man is at least a prophet. And some of them said, no, no, he's more than a prophet. He's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? That's the wrong zip code. They got accents over there. Does not the scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bread Church, we find this crowd uh, in our scripture uh, this morning engaged in a peculiar decision-making process. They are trying to determine whether or not they will include God, the Redeemer, in the person of Jesus Christ, in the plan that God, the Creator, is unfolding right before their very eyes through the power of God, the Sustainer. I'm going to say that one more time so that it sinks in. This crowd is trying to determine if they're going to include God, the Redeemer, in the plan that God, the Creator, is unfolding right before their very eyes through the power of God, the Sustainer. They're trying to decide if they're going to include and allow and accept Jesus within the plan of God. Oh, come on, y'all. I know it sounds crazy, but, but that's the decision-making process that they're undergoing. And they're doing the very best that they can. I don't want us to make a caricature out of this crowd. I want us to give them some dignity and some respect and some humanity. Here they are, oppressed and marginalized for years, for generations, and for years, and for generations, and for so long, they have heard of this promised figure called the Messiah, one who was going to be the deliverer of all deliverers. And they were expecting that Messiah to deliver them from oppression and marginalization and from the occupation of one of the fiercest and biggest and strongest empires the world has ever known, the Roman Empire. So they're expecting and they're waiting on this Messiah to bring them political deliverance, to bring them into nationhood and to make a new nation out of them. And Jesus shows up and disappoints them. He's not from the right place. He doesn't speak the right way. He doesn't have the right qualifications. He doesn't have the right degrees from the right universities, from the right place and at the right time. Jesus shows up in his body and Jesus disappoints them. Jesus isn't trying to bring about a political salvation. Jesus isn't trying to make a new nation out of Israel. And, and even in Acts chapter 1, the disciples ask again, and Dr. Willie, theologian uh, Dr. Willie Jennings helps us with this. 
with this concept. The disciples are asking Jesus at this time after Jesus has risen, are you now going to restore the nation of Israel? Are we now going to be a powerful nation, a strong nation with our own borders? And Jesus rejects this this invitation to build a nation. And Jesus instead extends an invitation to build a world where nations aren't needed. Oh, I want to let that sink in for a second. Here in this text and over in Acts chapter one, there's this expectation and this hope for Jesus to make Israel a new nation and a strong and a mighty nation. And Jesus rejects the invitation for nation building and instead extends an invitation to help create a world where nations aren't needed. Because every nation needs a border and every border needs to be protected and to be protected. You need an army. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into an economy. I'm inviting you to build and create a world where armies aren't needed because protection isn't needed, because borders aren't needed, because nations aren't needed, because we're all existing and loving inside this thing called the kingdom of God, inside this thing that Dr. King, who we celebrate and commemorate on this weekend, called the beloved community. But yet here is Jesus in John chapter 7, disappointing them in every single way. And I just want to flip that to us. I just want to keep it real for us. There are times when I've been disappointed by how God has chosen to show up. Have you ever been disappointed by God? Oh, this crowd is disappointed by the way that God has chosen to show up. Is disappointed in this version of a would-be Messiah that they have right in front of them. And essentially what they're disappointed in is that Jesus doesn't fit inside their box of preconceived notions in which they always thought the Messiah would show up. Jesus doesn't fit inside their box. And even as they're doing the very best they can, this crowd shows us what can happen when we cling to and believe in in our boxes more than we cling to and believe in our Jesus. I want to say that one more time. This crowd shows us what can happen when we believe in and when we cling to our boxes more than we believe in and we cling to our Jesus. And here in the midst of all the arguments, there's the invitation. Come to me, all you who are who are thirsty, no qualification, no red tape, no paperwork, no bureaucracy. Here in our context, we're so used to, if you need a service or if you have a need, whether it's food, whether it's shelter, whether it's a medical procedure, whether it's mental health services, there are 12 pages of a bureaucracy and 27 steps between you and the services that you need. You either need Kaiser, HealthNet, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, all the bubbles, all the shields, all the fortresses. But Jesus says, The only qualification inside the economy of God is need. Are you thirsty this morning? What do you need? Where is your place of desperation? Where is your place of longing? Where is your place of brokenness and weariness and tiredness and suffering and grief and hope and expectation and desire? And Jesus says, Come to me and I'll meet you there. 
just not always inside the box you thought I'd meet you in. This crowd shows us what can happen when we cling to our boxes more than we cling to our Jesus. There's just something about boxes, y'all. We love them. Even as kids, I watched my kids just a couple weeks ago. It, it was Christmas, and, and I watched my kids just play with the boxes that their toys came in more than they played with the toys. Oh, come on. Any parents out there, raise your hand. I can't see you raise your hand, but I can feel you in my spirit. Raise your hand and give me some encouragement to let me know I'm not by myself. But I watched my kids play with boxes. I, as a kid, played with boxes. As a matter of fact, next Christmas, that's where we gonna have Christmas is at the Home Depot. I'm gonna just buy a whole bunch of boxes. And we never really grow out of them, huh? If it's you, just blink. Don't raise your hand. Just blink. I can feel that blink. Blink if you've got an empty iPhone box at your house. Yeah, yeah. I feel that blink, right? Something about those boxes. And then it gets more serious. The stakes get higher, right? Even for us as Christians, even for us as progressive Christians, right, who, who want to be down for social justice and social progress and, and racial justice and, and equity, right? The stakes get higher. We live in Los Angeles, which is a progressive city filled with a lot of progressive people who like to think a lot of progressive thoughts and feel a lot of progressive emotions who are down for social progress. Yet, in the midst of cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Washington, D.C., there's this thing called nimbyism, also known as not in my backyardism. Where it's this syndrome, it's this thing where people who would check all the boxes, people who have Black Lives Matter sign in their yards where black people used to live, but that's a whole nother sermon as well. But it's with these same people who would check all the boxes of being supportive of social progress. It's when these same people have an opportunity to actually show up and be about social progress. They instead show up to city council meetings and they block things like homeless shelters. They block things like transitional and affordable housing. They block train stations. They block mental health services, all because it will be in their backyard and potentially decrease the value of their box, also known as their house or their property. Oh, y'all, we as people, we cling to our boxes we cling to our boxes and we do so at the othering and at the expense of our neighbors. We love our boxes more than we even love the human beings in front of us who we claim to support. All the while, Jesus keeps extending the invitation. Let anyone who is thirsty, as we try to cling to our boxes, White supremacy, box, patriarchy, box, heteronormativity, box, masculinity, box. I know that's my box. That is the specific box that I'm that I'm tempted to find shelter in other than Jesus. That's my box. I don't know what your box is, but but that's the one I go to over and over again. And it manifests itself in different ways. I got to be the one to put that put together that Ikea furniture with all 27 steps. 
and I can't look at the directions too much. You know what I'm saying? I could glance at them every now and again, even though my spouse would put together the same piece of furniture better and, and in a more efficient time. I just got to be the one to volunteer that. You know, I, I got this thing I call a smooth criminal anointing when it comes to putting furniture together. Y'all remember that Michael Jackson video for smooth criminal when he did the lean? You know what I'm saying? It was like, yo, how did he do that? That's how I put furniture together. It, it always has the smooth criminal. It just leans just a little bit, you know, but but a man should be able to put furniture together. That's what it means to be masculine. And even in, in the way that I that I father my boys, I'm, I'm very tender with them. I show them a lot of affection. My mom did that for me. And so I'm passing it along to, to my boys and I hug and I kiss them multiple times a day, every single day. And then there are moments where I catch myself and I say, wait, shouldn't I be more of a disciplinarian? Because isn't that what dads are supposed to do? Supposed to lay down the law? And then I find myself caught inside this tension of whether or not I will make my sons hard enough to survive this world or soft enough to help create a world that doesn't need surviving. I'm gonna say that one more time. I find myself caught in this tension where do I raise my sons to be hard enough to survive this world or soft enough to create a world that doesn't need surviving? But that's my box, masculinity. What is it for you? What is that box that you're tempted to find certainty in and identity in? Because that's what we're looking for when we jump into those boxes. We're looking for certainty. We're looking for identity. But what we always end up finding is captivity. And those things play out and have individual consequences. And those things also play out and have social consequences. We experience the consequences, the social consequences of the box of patriarchy, of the box of white supremacy. As we see communities and districts that are over-policed in which black people are two times more likely to be killed by the police than white people. That's a collective social consequence of the box of white supremacy. This box that says white people and their bodies, their aesthetic, their customs, their beliefs, their value systems, and their way of being and living and thinking in the world is normative and better than anyone else's. That has a collective and a social consequence that criminalizes the behavior of black people and other people of color. Boxes have individual consequences and social consequences. But here we have Jesus saying, step outside of those boxes to find God. Inviting us to step outside of those boxes to find what Dr. King called beloved community, to find what Jesus called the kingdom of God. I love it because it's not what Jesus is saying that's important. It's not just what Jesus is saying. It's the circumstances under which he's saying what he's saying. He's saying all of this at the festival of booths. Now, the festival of booths uh, was this big party. It was this big turn up where the nation of Israel, they would just remember 
what God did for them by delivering them out of Egypt, but not only delivering them from enslavement in Egypt, but the shelter and the protection that God provided for them in the form of these little huts while they stayed in the wilderness after escaping and being delivered from Egypt. It's a commemoration of a deliverance story in which God kept them through the faithfulness of God in the wilderness. So this festival commemorated that. It was called the Festival of Booths, which in the Hebrew can be translated as hut. And y'all, you know what these huts looked like? They looked like literal boxes. There were these literal box huts. So in my sanctified imagination, could it be that on the last day, on the great day, on the culmination of the festival of boxes, Jesus is announcing to the crowd and to us and to anyone who will listen that God will no longer be sought after and found inside boxes. Beloved, as followers of Christ, when we fail to step outside and leave our boxes and value people more than our boxes, what we fail to remember is that everything about our Jesus is outside of the box. Born into a male physical body, but that no physical male had anything to do with. Born to a brown teenage mother who was doing the best she could, who sought political asylum in Africa because the insecure powers that be sought to have her child killed, who would then grow up and hang out with 12 rejects who no other rabbi or religious leader wanted on their team. A king who rejected monarchy and didn't want a crown and whose first move was surrender. Y'all, everything about the Jesus that we follow is outside of the box. He suffered under the hands of the state and received the death penalty at the hands of the state. Y'all, today, Jesus would get a lethal injection inside of San Quentin prison. Today, y'all, Jesus would live in a community and a neighborhood that was over-policed. Today, Jesus would have grown up in a community and a neighborhood that was suffering under the school to prison pipeline. Today, Jesus would be with the incarcerated. Everything about the Jesus that we follow is outside of the box. So here's the invitation. Step outside that box and find God. Step outside the conventions of where we think Jesus is to be found, and there we might find him. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty this morning? I love it. In the midst of all the arguments, in the midst of all the debate about qualification, Jesus's invitation is simple. Are you thirsty? Yeah? Well, let's start there. And I'll work out all the rest. I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're in this place uh, and in this season of the of the pandemic where where thirstiness for you looks like just just physical tiredness and bodily weariness. Maybe you're psychologically burnt out. Maybe depression and anxiety feel closer than they've ever been. Maybe the marriage is worse than it's ever been. I don't know what it is for you but I know what Jesus says to us all. 
maybe maybe the kids are going crazy maybe you're maybe maybe classes are just nuts and, and you can't figure out what it means to to be a student because you can't translate all the things that you learned in person into a virtual uh, atmosphere and virtual learning don't even translate for you because you don't even learn that way and now you're questioning and wondering about yourself I don't know what it is for you but I know what Jesus says come to me all you who are thirsty the only qualification for service in the economy of God is need bread church the only qualification for the services of God is need Jesus says come to me not your box not your comfort, not your security, not your power, not your privilege. Come to me and I'll work out the rest. You know, Bread Church, uh, in a few weeks, y'all are going to be starting this thing called Table Talks. And it's fitting on this weekend as we celebrate and commemorate Dr. King, who I always want to remind us was assassinated because I think uh, we have anesthetized Right. And we have uh, been anesthetized and, and we have sanitized the message of Dr. King so much that Dr. King's voice can now sell F-150 Ford pickup trucks and commercials. But there was a time where Dr. King's voice wasn't selling pickup trucks, where Dr. King's voice wasn't celebrated or commemorated, where it wasn't even tolerated. And the person in the voice of Dr. King was ultimately assassinated. But there was something that Dr. King believed in that was the, the fuel and the foundation for the life that he lived and the justice that he pursued. And it was this thing called beloved community where truth was at the center, where repair, where vulnerability and justice, and righteousness was at the center. And we were all free to be human beings together, existing in truth, existing in love, existing in grace, existing in justice, fully restored, existing in shalom together. There was this invitation to build beloved community. And it sounds, oh, by the way, a lot like the kingdom of God. So as y'all step into table talks, for some of y'all stepping outside of the box means finally reading a book about racial justice, having a conversation. For some of y'all, it might mean going beyond the book and starting to be the book and showing up in your community. For some of us, we got to go beyond the books and do something with our bodies. Showing up to the protests, showing up to the march when it's not cool to show up to the protests, when it's not cool to show up to the march. Showing up to the city council meeting and supporting that affordable housing, supporting that homeless shelter, showing up in your school district and seeing how you can be a part of resourcing your local school district. I don't know what it is for you, but God is calling us to always do something with our bodies. For some of us, the box is the books we read. Because we, we feel great about ourselves. And hey, I love books. Got a whole bunch of books behind me. But for some of us, the box is our book. And we're trapped inside of them. And we think learning about justice is doing justice. And they're related, but they're not the same. Whatever it is for you, hear the invitation of Jesus. Come to me and I'll figure out all the rest. In Christ's name, amen. Chase, can you, I can see you, I think I can hear you. Yes. 
I cannot see you, you but can I can hear you. <laughs> uh, well, um, that might be as good as we get. Are you might there able we to go. Oh, wait, I, I can, like, that's me holding you. I'm What's very, up, man? very good small. To see you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank it. you so much. We've just listened to your, your talk. Um, it's so good uh, to have you with thank us. You. Um, even thank you. Even though it's been brilliant. How's the family? Is everyone safe and well? Yes, yes. Thank you for asking. Yeah, so our two-year-old is taking a nap right now. Praise the Lord. Pray <laughs> that that continues throughout this interview. And our four-year-old, he's obsessed with trains. So right now he's uh, watching all the train videos that he can handle while his little brother naps. So we're all well hanging in there right now. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, it would be great just to uh, ask you a few things about kind of um, where you're at and, and um, particularly just... Uh, your perspective about us as a kind of uh, a church who are trying to um, kind of walk deeper into uh, a lot of this racial reconciliation stuff that we've been um, talking about for a while now, and we're really excited about the, the table talks that are coming. Um, but firstly, you've, you've just started, a, or you're just about to start a new job, right, at All Saints Episcopal Church yeah. in, um, in Pasadena, and I know that you've, your, your kind of background has been in, in various different church contexts. I, I wonder, like, from your perspective, having seen uh, a lot of different ways of doing church, what you're most excited about in terms of how the church can step into this beloved community, the kingdom of God, and, and what you see as kind of the most exciting in terms of progress for the church yeah. being this yeah. racial rec reconciling community. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that question. That's a... It's a really important question, and so yeah, I'll be the associate rector at All Saints Church in Pasadena. Uh, if anybody's heard of it, or, or if you're not uh, familiar with it, it's a pretty historical church in the Pasadena, greater Los Angeles area, uh, and one of the things that I'm really excited about when it comes to not just joining that church, but it also connects to uh, the second part of your question, Ed, which is what am I excited about in terms of the church's wider role uh, in the conversation of racial reconciliation is uh, the conversation of uh, societal repair. Uh, that's one of the things that we're engaged in at All Saints. Uh, we're having conversations with the, or going to be uh, this February and into March uh, in a series. We're going to be talking with the Gabrielino Tongva people who were the original inhabitants uh, of the land that we're standing on and that we're speaking on and having this conversation on right now. Uh, so we're going to be having conversations with them uh, in terms of what does it look like for them as a community uh, to be restored uh, and to be repaired. And we're gonna follow that conversation to its utmost conclusion. And if at the end of that conversation, they're like, yo, we want our land back, <laughs> then we're gonna have to figure out a way to uh, accommodate what repair and restoration looks like for them, right? So I'm excited about joining a community that's doing that kind of work. And I'm also excited that that is the invitation that the wider church gets to receive and gets to accept uh, that uh, the spirit of the living God is extending to us because we often have a lot of conversations and conversations are important, uh, but conversations are not the uh, penultimate of what racial reconciliation is about. There's a crucial element of repair that is laden within reconciliation, right? Uh, if, if, if I 
come to your house, Ed. Ed, I have no idea where you live, so please don't take this seriously at all. <laughs> but if I showed up to your house tonight, Ed, and I just uh, broke a bunch of windows uh, just for the fun of it uh, and then left, and then a week later, we had some coffee and uh, I hugged you and said how sorry I was and, and we cried it out. That's reconciliation to an extent, but it's incomplete. That reconciliation process isn't complete until I pay you back what I took from you, until I make an effort to actually repair uh, the windows that I broke, right? So the conversation of reparations is one that I'm excited for the wider church to be a part of. Uh, we got to repair some folks uh, and we got to lead the way uh, in that project when it comes to the indigenous people of our land to, for black Americans in terms of what uh, the, the billions and, and even countless uh, uh, generational wealth, the countless generational wealth that was taken away from black Americans uh, due to enslavement, due to redlining, due to mass, uh, the prison industrial complex that we're currently in, right? Uh, there's a conversation on repair that needs to happen there. So I'm excited that All Saints Church is a part of that, and I'm excited for the larger church's role in that conversation. And there's even scriptural precedent for it, right? Uh, Zacchaeus, one of my favorite uh, Bible stories, Zacchaeus sees Jesus coming from afar off. He gets excited. He climbs up a tree. And by the way, I'm preaching right now because I almost preached the message that I sent y'all on Zacchaeus. We love it. But Zacchaeus... But Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And Jesus didn't say that until after Zacchaeus talked about repairing what he'd taken, right? He said, if I have defrauded anyone, which translation is, I know I took some of y'all's money, right? <laughs> he says, I, I not only repent, but I'll pay it back four times over. And then after he says that, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. So that process wasn't complete without uh, uh, any talk about reparations. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's very exciting. And um, yeah, we, we're so excited about kind of carrying on this conversation that's just begun with you guys and with, uh, with Monrovia in particular, um, being able to just this not be something that, oh, it's the, the white church who just got excited for a second and then they never <laughs> see them again. So we're really excited about um, ongoingly how we can um, partner with other churches you guys with Monrovia Fellowship and, and being able to, uh, to, to work together um, is very exciting. Um, I, I wonder whether I, we've got a lot of people here who I, who I think would, would say that there's um, dynamics within families, dynamics with friends where people are, in, are coming from very different angles uh, when it comes to their response to, to, to race and to particularly the things that came to light uh, uh, over the last year or so. Do you have any advice for how we as God's people can navigate difficult relationships um, with the ones that we love the most, the ones who are closest um, to us, but who, who may see things very differently? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question, right? And, and it hits so close to home because that's so many uh, of our stories, right? Uh, I would say just as an encouragement um, to go with grace in those conversations because we have not yet arrived ourselves, right? Uh, I love that scripture where Paul talks about that. He says, not counting myself to have arrived already, uh, but I press forward. So he's naming this important reality, which is we are never all that we will ever be. 
in any one single moment in time, we're not complete, we're not finished products, right? So uh, that's one reason to go in grace in those conversations. And then also uh, because there was a time when we didn't believe what we believed. There was a, no, you know, woke is the word that's being thrown around a lot, but uh, none of us came out of the womb woke. So there was a moment and there was a season where uh, we either believed those same things or we didn't believe what exactly what we believed now, right? So my first encouragement would be to uh, to just love folks and treat them with grace uh, and and patience uh, and 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 just really really good care, right? And and just taking that humility uh, to say, hey, I. Uh, wasn't always the person that I'm now, right? There was a moment when I was that person, right? Uh, and then secondly, and my advice is different for different folks. Uh, if you are a, uh, uh, if you racially identify as white and your family is white, uh, I would say continue in those conversations and don't give up uh, because there's an entire society that's depending on you to have that conversation with that family member that no one else can have, right? Uh, so don't give up. Uh, persevere in those conversations. If you're a person of color, uh, by all means, take breaks, especially when it comes to the conversation of race because so much uh, of uh, just our societal experience, especially if you are a black person, is spent in a racial battle. And there's such a thing psychologically as racial battle fatigue, right? So if you're having to fight those racial battles in society and at work, and then when you come home within your family, it can all be a bit much, right? So take those breaks uh, and, and give yourself permission to check out and say, you know what? We're going to talk about basketball tonight. I I'm just not going to go there, <laughs> especially if you're in an interracial family and you're a black person talking to white in-laws or white family members can be really exhausting. So feel free and don't feel guilty to take breaks. But when it comes to other conversations as well, when it comes to gender, uh, you, you know, I've had so many conversations with different family members in my family because I'm the only person talking to them about gender, right? I'm the only person talking to uh, certain family members about how uh, it is that we treat women, right? So it depends on who you are and it depends on what the conversation is. But for the most part, go with grace. And, and persevere because you might be the only person speaking to that individual and the rest of the uh, rest of us are counting on you to have that conversation so yeah that would be my advice thank you chase that's that's great um just finally and you, and you kind of um touched on this just now but in terms of um i think particularly for for people of color but that sense of frustration or discouragement or just exhaustion um how, how have you personally been able to um, kind of remain full of the spirit, full of hope and, and, and joy um, in, in what can feel at times, I guess, like just the, the biggest uphill battle um, are we ever going to get? Are we ever going to see much change? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I'll take the words of uh, there's a rapper slash poet slash actor named uh, Most Deaf. Uh, some of y'all may, may know who that is, but I, I really admire most Def and his art and, and, and just him as a person. And he has this song called Umi Says where he's talking about the wisdom that he's gotten from his grandmothers and from his elders. And there's this line in Umi Says where, where he says, sometimes I don't want to be a soldier. Sometimes I just want to be a man, right? Sometimes I just want a quiet life, me and my lady and me and my babies. And I love that line because what it shows us is that, look, we're all human. 
And we all deserve and need to just simply enjoy life. Like life uh, is not designed to be a fight. It's not designed to be uh, just this uphill battle, as you said, Ed. There are moments and times where we deserve to just have joy, enjoyment, pleasure, and ease. So uh, my encouragement would be, uh, particularly if you're a person of color in this resistance and in this struggle, is to make as much space for joy as you possibly can, because to simply enjoy your life is resistance, right? A a few weeks ago, uh, me and my wife and and our children, we were uh, biking uh, by the Santa Fe Dam, uh, just enjoying the weather. It's about 70 degrees uh, outside. Our kids were having an amazing time. Uh, and then I looked around and I said, my goodness, our existence in this place, just enjoying this recreational activity, smiling and laughing and loving on each other, our existence in that way is resistance, right? So make space for joy, right? Because society did everything possible for us to not experience that one singular moment of joy and, and pleasure uh, with each other uh, as a family, right? Uh, so make space for joy uh, and make space for enjoyment because you were created to enjoy life, not to just endure life. So please see joy as part of the resistance. I love that scripture in Nehemiah when the children of Israel are rebuilding the walls around their city. Nehemiah says to the people, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't let this world take your joy. Uh, They can take a lot of things, but if they take your joy, it's because we gave it to them. So don't let this world and this society take your joy because joy is a fundamental part of our strength and we can't do this work well uh, if we don't have it. Uh, The second thing that I would say is to understand, and this is really wider, this is for everyone, uh, that change happens slowly, right? So, So stay hopeful and stay hope filled Uh, knowing that change happens slowly and it happens over a lifetime, right? We're celebrating Dr. King this weekend and and, and remembering uh, his legacy. Uh, But the broader civil rights, it started at around 1945, 1947. Those were the seeds of it after World War II. And it went all the way through to 1968, 1969, 1970, right? That's over 25 years of struggle. Right, the Montgomery bus boycott, which we remember famously for being started by Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on the back of the bus and go to the back of the bus. That boycott lasted for over 400 days, right? Change is slow and it happens over a lifetime and we might not see it, right? This is Hebrews 11, one of my favorite passages of scripture talks about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, the heroes, the patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith. And then it has this incredible line. It says, these are the folks who endured looking for a better country, enduring, looking out for the promise, knowing that they themselves might never receive it. And Dr. King even said this in his last sermon before he was assassinated. He said, I've looked over the mountaintop and I've seen what's ahead. I might not get there with you, right? So so take that as a sobering bit of encouragement. The change that we seek 
this change that happens for a lifetime. This is a lifetime's worth of work. And for a lot of us, the work that we're doing when it comes to justice and social progress will be things that we ourselves don't enjoy, but the next generation might, right? We live in a society where, you know, Instagram and social media conditions us and capitalism has also conditioned us that everything that, everything good that happens, we deserve it to happen to us. But when it comes to social progress, there are things that we might not inherit, that we might not see ourselves, but the next generation will, right? Uh, so stay encouraged. This work is long. Change doesn't happen overnight, um, but it will happen if we just keep showing up and being faithful together as the beloved community. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Chase. Um, it's been great to have you with us. And um, can we just end by just praying for you? Uh, thank you so that. much. I appreciate yeah. that. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for Chase. We thank you uh, for his voice. We thank you for all that he's seen of your kingdom. And we thank you for the beauty of your kingdom. We thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for Jesus and all that he's done to completely revolutionize our whole existence, to create a new world to destroy all dividing walls of hostility and to make us one with you and each other. And I want to pray that you would help us as churches across this city and across this nation to be people who are faithful to your word, faithful to what your spirit's doing, and to stand up and be counted to work for your kingdom. We thank you for Chase, and we pray for your blessing upon him and his family and for all the work of his hands. Would you bring everything that he does to life in your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Thank so, you so thank you so much, much Chase, um, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll stay in touch, and um, uh, have a great day. Have a great weekend. Awesome. Y'all as well. Look forward to seeing y'all in those tables. Peace.